Hello again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp and as always I am joined by Will. It's really late in Australia, Murden. How's it going today, Will? You certainly are, buddy. It's really good. Really good. It is late, but it's always good to hear you. It's been, what, three weeks now you've been away? It is, and this will be the last show that I do from the land of the rising sun. Uh, I will be heading back this weekend. Uh, You're going to have to get another lackey in to do uh, the recap show because I will be somewhere over the Pacific. And uh, yeah, this will be the last one from Japan. Perhaps we can work to get you up in a first class and just make it like you're a big deal, big podcasting deal. You need to sit first class so that you can record. Perhaps you could try that at the desk at uh, the Qantas Lounge or wherever you're flying back through. I don't know if that's how it works over here. I feel like if I said, oh, yeah, I've just worked for eight weeks straight with no sleep, they'd be like, hmm, we will think about it. You'll be near <laughs> what is the appropriate amount of time to be considered a hard worker. Yeah, okay. One of those sorts of things. So Who do you fly back with? Uh, Singapore. Really important for our listeners to know this. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You want to know. probably more importantly, the bigger concern for me at the moment is there is a typhoon building uh, in the Pacific that is due to hit Tokyo on Saturday, and we of course fly out Saturday morning. So giddy up! That is exciting. Oh. So delays are on the cards and I might not get back till later. Now, the other thing that I do need to mention before we do get into a really, really exciting week seven, hell, we're week seven already, uh, is that some of my students have decided to listen to the last episode and I may have had a couple of, you know, perhaps not so glowing terms for them and I just wanted to say that those comments, I refuse to retract them. (laughs) That's good, mate. I'm, I'm glad they're listening in. Thanks, kids. Uh, appreciate it. I'm sorry your teacher's a bit of a dick, but uh, really glad that you're following and I hopefully, hopefully you're really getting into college football. No, nah, they're a good bunch of kids, actually. I really like them and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a good trip, but when you live with your school kids for three weeks, it becomes tiresome. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. Enough about that. Uh, We have got, like I said, a big, big week of week seven college football action. We've got game previews to get through, of which there are a few spicy-ish kind of games. There's probably one big heavy hitter that we will, of course, get to in the Florida LSU game, but there is a lot of other games of intrigue as well. Yeah, I think this, this is the best slate we've had this year so far, hands down. Yeah, absolutely. I don't disagree. Which is really exciting. Yeah, for sure. And I think that not only that, I think it's set up in terms of the matchups that we have as some really, really close games. And that probably hasn't been the case in these ranked matchups recently. It's been sort of big blowouts or some pretty tight matches. But, you know, there has been a lot of those lopsided victories for our ranked teams and hopefully there's a couple of opportunities to push those teams this week and we get a chance to measure the likes of Wisconsin, of Oklahoma, uh, of potentially Clemson, of LSU and see you know exactly where those teams are up to. Yep. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for your deep analysis there, mate. Uh, I believe... Before we do kick in to the Saturday matches, uh, that this weekend is going to cause 
some chaos in college football of the likes that we didn't get at all last year. I already think, and I've said this in the past, that this year is suiting up fractionally more entertaining and exciting than last year. And I think that trend will continue this week as potentially some heavy hitters go down or there'll be some close and exciting games. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. Uh, We get to go... uh, on the punt with Will as well. Don't know if I mentioned that, but as always, we will do that. Now, something I didn't mention in last week's episode, which is extremely poor of me, and I do apologize to our listeners. Please, please make sure that you do hit us up uh, on Twitter or on Instagram at CFB Down Under. Uh, if you've got any questions about the games, you've got some feedback about the show, you want to ask us, is CJ Vidal the best running back in the Pac-12 North? Or is Sam Ellinger closer to JT Barrett or Cardale Jones? We are happy to answer some of these questions, so feel free to hit us up um, and we are happy to talk college football as always. Exactly. We need someone to talk to at 1.30 in the morning here in Australia because there's not too many other people who are up at that point. So please get through to us, otherwise... It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not great. Well, I mean, they are up. They're just hammered and we don't really want to speak to them, I suppose, is where we're at with that. That, yes. <laughs> that used to be us. Anyway, kids, don't listen to that. All right, Saturday morning, we will start with Miami versus number 20 in the country, the Virginia Cavaliers. And for some reason, Miami is favorite in this one. I would not be betting on it. If I was, I think I would have to go with Virginia. They've got a good defense. They're well coached under Bronco Mendenhall. They're getting solid quarterback play. I mean, it's not an improvement on last year. Bryce Perkins is actually turning the ball over with greater regularity. He's throwing less accurately or is completing less passes, I suppose, percentage-wise. Um, and obviously, the loss of Alameda Zacchaeus is starting to have that effect. Uh, and their running game perhaps isn't as efficient, but they're getting enough big plays backed with some really solid defense. They're almost playing uh, beamable Virginia Tech style, um, you know, in, in the way they go about it. So I'm expecting... Uh, um, uh, Virginia victory. The only thing that may change things is Nikosi Perry is getting the start for Miami. Jaron Williams has had a sore shoulder. Um, not only that, Nikosi Perry put up 400-odd yards and appears to be able to stretch the field vertically. His deeper ball is better than Jaron Williams. He's happy to take the chance on that deeper ball. Uh, uh, Jeff Thomas got involved in the offense. So there's a few things to like offensively. I've still got my concerns about the defense, but I'm taking Virginia in this one. I think this is all false bravado. I don't think you honestly believe this. Uh, the, the, my first piece of evidence that I'll bring forward on this is that I was hoping we could maybe touch on my South Pole before we jumped into the game previews, but you oh. were so excited to talk about your Hurricanes. What a jackass. You, you wanted to skip right into this. I think you like them, and I think with good reason this week. I'm on the Hurricanes, and I think they're going to win this one. I think this is typical ACC you've got a ranked team and one that is not and for me the way things have been going in that uh, conference it everything points to Virginia having a massive letdown and Miami getting the job done I mean yes Miami have been super disappointing with everything they've shown but what has always been the case is they have 
players. They, they have talent across the field. And if it can all click at any given time, they can match it with, you know, Florida, like you saw in week one. And I expect that to happen this week at home and for them to get up over Virginia. Okay. Uh, interesting. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked, but I'm not expecting a win for the Canes. Again, like I mentioned on the recap show, 4-12 and 12 against Power 5 teams uh, in their last 16. So I expect Virginia to get over this one. Continuing on Saturday's games, yes, William, we will get to your South Pole. I've just moved that later in the run sheet. Obviously, if you'd checked the production notes, you would know that, but you didn't check them. There are those weird little symbols. What, you all of a sudden you speak Japanese? Yeah, I do speak Japanese now, dude. Fluent. And just because you ran some questionable segment with Wobbs who can't veto and vet some of your crap doesn't mean that I'm just going to roll straight into it. All right? Not all right. (laughs) Okay. Well, we've got Colorado versus number 13, Oregon. Uh, Colorado head up to Ortson. Stevie Montez and the Colorado offense will probably score points. Uh, and certainly more than the seven that Cow put up last week. There's no doubt about that. Um, but on the other side, I think against that offense, you've got the Oregon defense that effectively won them the game last week. Uh, and they're going to, again, need to make some plays to help that offense out that I still don't think is firing on all cylinders. They've got a little nicked up with CJ Vidal leaving the game last week. Uh, so, you know, it'd be an interesting battle between that Oregon defense and the Colorado offense to see if Colorado can, in fact, move the ball enough. The line that I've had a look at is 21 points, which seems massive to me uh, for the Ducks. And I just, I don't, I know their offense is that explosive. I know the Ducks offense is that explosive, but it hasn't been. The evidence suggests something to the contrary. So on top of that, they've only scored 38 points in their two conference games so far this year. So I see an Oregon win, but I don't think it'll be the 21 points that the people in the desert are giving them. Yeah, okay. I see this one as the the game that it all comes together for them. I expect Oregon to come out and really click and fire on all cylinders and whatever other cliche you want me to throw in there this is going to be their one that you start to see their potential and i think that 21 gets covered up eaten up and oregon go on and and crush colorado oh interesting uh what makes you think that this is the week that it's all going to click I think Colorado have been a bit all over the shop and it's a bit of a daunting road trip going into Autzen uh, to play up there. Oregon have been so-so. They, they have been doing enough, but they've also been coming up against some decent sides. Like playing against Cal is uh, not to be underestimated. I think they are the best defense in the Pac-12 this year and you know Washington are a bit young there. They're, they're predominantly one of the ones that have that side. I would say Cal are this year and Oregon struggled but still were able to do enough to get the win. Colorado is very much a, a step down from that and I think Oregon are, ex- are going to exploit that and you're going to start to see Justin Herbert build that momentum that he has been saying so on our earlier episode in the week you kind of mentioned that he hasn't been all that impressive where the numbers really say that you know passing over 70 percent only the one pick to the 15 touchdowns he has been good and i think he's going to continue rolling there and you're going to see that this week 
Okay, moving right along then. Uh, Sunday's game. There's a couple more games kind of spread throughout the week, uh, but we will stick with more of the ranked matchups. Sunday's game as we jump into this one. This is the early start, the kind of 2.30 in the morning, I think, kickoff in Adelaide. We've got number six, Oklahoma, versus the 11th team in the country in Texas. This is a you know pseudo-neutral site game, but obviously it's at the Cotton Bowl, which will generally attract a bigger Texas uh, fan base. Uh, how do you see you being the kind of Big 12 aficionado? How do you see this one playing out? Well, I mean, if there's one thing that you've historically seen in this matchup is that it often goes against the way that you're expecting. Like there's, there's more often than not a team that's traveling a lot better than the other ones. And, you know, of late that has been Oklahoma who have been the better team in the Big 12. But it always seems that Texas are providing an upset in this one or at least kind of making it a really close rivalry matchup. So, you know, every every part of me says that's going to be the case and what's this? the line's at like 11 points in this one. Uh, you should take Texas or at least the points there. But I just – I'm not willing to do that. I still think that Oklahoma are a much better football team this year. Uh, most of that for mine is not just their – what they're doing on offense because that is impressive. That has always been impressive. Well, not always, but at least for the last few years, been very impressive. It's more the other side of the ball. Defensively, they have been much, much better. And yes, they haven't played against much of uh, you know offensive players yet that they'll come against in the Big 12 schedule. But they are something like in the top 25 in a number of key defensive metrics where last year I think they finished you know, outside of the top 100 in a lot of that sort of stuff. So that to me is going to be the big difference in this one and that's why that they will win this one comfortably. Yeah, I think that I don't disagree at any point there and I think you brought up some really, really good, good stuff about that Oklahoma defense. They're not conceding a lot of yards. They're not conceding a lot of points. The only area that they perhaps would like to see a little bit more perhaps is in that turnover uh, that that turnover you know re- i guess regularity or or how often they're you know generating those takeaways they're not doing that that regularly uh, and that's probably one small thing and a lot of that is you know out of your control as well but they're only conceding 180 yards against the pass per game so it doesn't bode well for sam ellinger on top yeah, of- i did read a I did read a crazy start. Sorry, I'll just jump in there. They're so far per snap, they are averaging nine point nine yards per play. Oklahoma. Yeah, every time they snap the yep. ball, they're almost getting a first down. Yep. And I am going to I'm going to go into that a little bit in a little bit more detail here and, and talk about this Oklahoma offense because I have been so impressed with Jalen Hurts, um, Lincoln Riley is a freak and i think any he could almost write people would be signing a blank check for him uh if he wanted to move anywhere else i know he's not going to leave oklahoma potentially and if he is it's to go to the nfl but he can write his own ticket at this point the raps coming out on him from his ex-players from other coaches both in the nfl and in college football are saying he's one of the brightest if not the brightest mind uh in football uh, there's probably a few guys in the NFL that would argue that. But 
you know, he's certainly up there as a play caller and as a tactician, and he's got that offense in Oklahoma working extremely well. The thing that surprised yeah. me, the thing that got me the most this week is the fact that Oklahoma sits at number one in yards per rushing attempt. Now, you say that they're nearly getting a first down on every play. A lot of that, well, not a lot of that, but, you know, they're getting 7.9 yards per carry. So it's not that they're just pushing the ball down the field, which they are, but they're running the ball so effectively as well. They're incredibly balanced. And this creates a lot of problems because on top of that, you've got a Texas defense who struggles to rush the passer. They're 96 in the country in defensive sack percentage. They've got average play in the secondary. And you've had some really mediocre quarterbacks put up 300-yard performances. Joe Burrow, obviously not mediocre. He's fantastic at LSU. But Austin Kendall hasn't been setting the world on fire. And he went over 300 yards last week. Jamar Smith to open the season, uh, put up 300 yards. So Jalen Hurts, this is a given. If there was an unbackable thing, it would be Jalen Hurts going for over 300 yards. So I think whilst Oklahoma has incredible balance, the Texas defense is quite poor. You've then got a Texas offense that is struggling to run the ball effectively, particularly outside of Sam Ellinger. And that's going to cause a situation I see where Texas are going to be forcing the play. Sam Ellinger is going to have to force the ball in uh, to, to keep pace with this Oklahoma offense. Now, that's going to lead to opportunities. Now, if Sam Ellinger can get the luck that he needs and or he plays perfectly, then they can win the game. But those two things, I think, need to happen if Texas have got a shot in this one. Okay, yeah, I... Am a little concerned now. I mean, your confidence there has me leaning a little bit the other way. If I'm going to be perfectly honest, all valid points, but it's just that whole rivalry thing, and yeah, I don't know that that that's that stuff that you can't really quantify when it when it comes to college football. So that'll be interesting. The point that I did want to get in there when you were talking about Lincoln Riley, I don't, have you seen much of his film, his interview, his behind the scenes sort of stuff? Cause I know like I'm, I'm really interested in and intrigued by those top coaches when you start talking urban Meyer and Nick Saban. And I know you read a lot of books about these guys. So, so you're very similar. Have you seen much of Lincoln Riley? Cause I haven't myself and, and I'd be intrigued as to what kind of makes him as good as, as he is. Yeah. You know? And, I get off on that X and O stuff and he's someone that I, I haven't, to be honest with you, I haven't spent the time looking into him. I've had, I've probably spent a little bit more time looking at the Gus Malzahn side of things and more of the air raid side of things. And obviously Lincoln Riley comes from that air raid background, but his has got a slightly different flavor and a different feel to it. Um, so he's certainly someone that I would love to explore um, and I actually might spend a little bit of time doing that because I do love offensive play calling, play design, um, and uh, I guess series play calling. Obviously, offensive play calling is not just about each individual play. It's about how you sequence play calling. Uh, and he is such does such a fantastic job of those things um, that he just lives in the future somehow. And... I, I need to do a bit of a deep dive on Lincoln Rice. That's a really good point. And once I've got something, I'll get back to you. Awesome, man. Um, so, yeah, I'm taking Oklahoma in this one. But like you said, if there's any doubts about it, you'd have to go in a rivalry. It's always good to pick it closer than further away. But probably a shootout in this one, I'm taking Oklahoma. Yeah, I'm with you. All right. 
six o'clock games. Now, there's a whole bunch of 6 a.m. games. Some of them will be good. I don't know what they are. So of these four games, and we'll try and blitz through them pretty quickly, but we've got Florida State at number two, Clemson. We've got Michigan State visiting number eight, Wisconsin. Washington State at number 18, Arizona. And Cincinnati head down to Houston. So they're four games in the six o'clock time slot. I think one of these will be close. I can't tell you which one it is. So let's start with Florida State and Clemson. I think both of these teams are better than the media is portraying at the moment. Florida State have actually got progressively better as the season has developed. The talent is clearly there, especially along that defensive front. And obviously the running back with Cam Akers is not in question. Clemson, on the other hand, is really hoping that Trevor Lawrence, I call it a slump. I'm playing it fast and loose with that term because any other, like I'll happily take Trevor Lawrence's slump year at Miami right now. Um, and he would still be an improvement on the quarterbacking that we have seen for the Canes. So, but we want to see him raise his game and propel the Tigers towards a standard that is above probably that, you know, Michigan, uh, you know, that kind of eight to 10 range, which is probably where they've been playing in the last couple of weeks. So, they need to get on top of this and and maybe Florida State is a team that can either push them or get them clicking in on and firing on all cylinders. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it in the preseason where you said expectations were impossibly high for Trevor Lawrence. Like him and Tua were both, you know, $2 favorites for the Heisman. They were clear front runners. And Tua has had an incredible start to the season and he's slipped himself. Uh, Trevor Lawrence hasn't been bad by any stretch of anyone's imagination, but it, just because he hasn't been elite and been able to take the next step, he's kind of been put in this bucket of, yeah, this is disappointing. And then you've got guys like Joe Burrow who was putting up probably similar numbers to what Tua has done and people are saying, oh my God, you know, yeah. this guy... This this is the guy. Everyone's around him. It's it's just where people think things should be, and and how it changes is a huge uh, narrative, I suppose, on how this all gets portrayed. So I agree with you a hundred percent. Trevor Lawrence is not one that I'm too worried about here, uh, and same with Clemson. They, they ran it tight with. North Carolina, but that happens. Um, whilst Florida State, I do agree, are getting better, I still think that they're a long way away from Clemson. They're not in their weight class, and that's probably going to be shown this week. I think it was a bit of a wake-up call for Clemson, uh, that match there. So that's kind of going to spring them into action a little bit, and I expect them to bounce out of this one against another proud program, another proud fan base, and then to stamp their authority. Okay, cool. So looking for Clemson to slingshot themselves into some good play as we enter the second half of October. All right, Michigan State at number eight, Wisconsin. I'll let you take this one away because I know how much of a Badgers fan you are at the moment. Yeah, I am all about uh, all aboard the Badgers, and these are two of my favorite defenses in all of college football as well. So I have been banging on about both of these ones. Uh, Michigan State obviously don't have the offensive tool, being uh, J- <laughs> JJ. Uh, what is it, Taylor? Not JJ Taylor, just John- Jonathan. Sorry, Taylor. Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, I, I'm I'm getting him mixed up with JJ Taylor, uh, the Arizona, Arizona. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, thank you. It's late. It's late here. You it did is. enter the show with that. It is. 
well past my bedtime. Yeah. But uh, they they have that tool and Michigan State do not. Uh, Michigan State do not have much going on offense for them. So Wisconsin, it, this is a real test for them. This is probably their first big test, their first uh, solid opponent that they're coming up against. I don't think Michigan State are ranked anymore. Nope. But – they're still a, a decent team, you know. Uh, they kind of got beaten quite comprehensively by Ohio State last week, but I think anyone outside of the top 10 would be in that boat at the moment. So that's not too much to harp on about where Wisconsin are just creaming teams and the teams that they're playing aren't great, but they're not bad. They're in that kind of middle range of college football. So not middle range of a Power 5 conference, but I'm talking somewhere between like the 40th best team and the 80th best team. Like, that bucket there and they are just crushing that so i'm interested to see what happens when they come up against a d-line that can actually stand up for themselves that's going to be able to anchor down and not get pushed five yards backwards before they know what's happening so it'll be an interesting test i expect wisconsin to win but i am keen to see how this one plays out and how jonathan taylor can get going against a very very good defensive uh squad in michigan state yeah, for sure. I think this one to me, I don't know if it feels trappy. Like I don't think Wisconsin are going to take Michigan State lightly by any means, but they've got Illinois next week on the road and then they get Ohio State the week after that. So, I and obviously the build-up from last week's game as well. Like I just feel like this could be, I think there's going to be a letdown here and it doesn't mean it's going to be a loss, but I think there's going to be something that's a little bit of a letdown. So obviously you have, not, they haven't faced a defense or a defensive front like Michigan State are going to provide for them on the weekend. Uh, so I think this one is going to be a little closer than what people believe. Defense travels well and it's going to have to, obviously, because Michigan State is heading up to Wisconsin and they're going to have to go against an offense that is going to want to run the ball. Uh, and you're going to have to get Jonathan Taylor on the ground and you're going to have to do it before he hits the secondary. Otherwise, it is a wrap and he is in the end zone. You know, I'm, I don't have any confidence in Michigan State's offense and I've got extreme confidence in Wisconsin's ability to stop the run. Uh, so, I mean, all signs point to Wisconsin win, but I think it could be it could be tighter than people expect. And if Brian Lewerke just has one of those games where he just gets hot, uh, then maybe Michigan State can push Wisconsin a fraction here. Uh, so I think this one could be interesting. It'll, it'll probably be a, a bit of an old-school Big Ten slugfest. Yep. Thank you. So final... Well, yeah, I've, I've given my take on it. I, I agree with where you're at there. What's what's your final take at Wisconsin to win but not cover? Or uh, Where's the line at on this one? Ten and a half for Wisconsin. I'll take Michigan State to cover. I think they lose. Okay, but You'll take those points. I think I'll take the points with no great confidence, but I just could see Wisconsin getting bogged down a little bit offensively. Uh, and you know, maybe this is the one where they're just not quite on the money. Okay, yeah, I see Wisconsin winning and probably winning quite well, so I would take them uh, to go over those 11 points. I mean, I could also see that happening, but anyway, all right, moving right along, Washington State head down to Tempe to take on the number 18 team in the country, and that is Arizona State, and to me, just weird things happen in Washington State games. 
They just do. And not only that, but the Sun Devils attract a certain level of weird also. So I'm kind of picking this game to just get funky somewhere. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know how that's going to play out. But something, things are going to get weird. And if I've got to pick one of these four games that we've spoken about in the 6 o'clock time slot as getting weird and entertaining and um, polarizing to watch, it's going to be this one. So I would be keeping a very close eye on this. It's currently a pick'em at the moment, it is. which is a bit of an interesting situation. I don't know if you've got any more updated numbers than me, but uh, it looks like, you know, to me, I, I don't know how Arizona State isn't the favorite, but I think Eno Benjamin needs to get going for the Sun Devils. And if he does, they win. Uh, otherwise, I don't know if Jaden Daniels and the Arizona State offense is explosive enough and will be able to keep up the pace in a shootout. So, I think Herm Edwards' team defensively are going to have to make stops. They're going to have to force turnovers. They're going to have to run the ball well because I just don't know if they can maintain the rage to score 42 points, uh, which is what it might take to beat Washington State in a shootout. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's fair. Washington State have been disappointing the last two weeks. So after starting the season hot, uh, on the back of their efforts last week. You kind of look back at those go now and go, well, New Mexico State haven't won a game yet. Uh, I don't even know who UNCO are. Uh, you want to have a guess at that? Uh, University of Northern Colorado. What is it? UNCR. CO. The United Nations Committee Olympia. Ah, Northern Colorado Bears, I've, I've nailed it. So they beat them convincingly too. Uh, then they touched up Houston, who also aren't, or not even, they beat Houston by uh, a touchdown. And then they had that crazy one against UCLA where they lost in the end, 63 to 67. And then they were just completely <laughs> outclassed by Utah last week. Uh, they were held to only 13 yeah. points uh, and, and lost 38 to 13. And now they go Arizona State. So you kind of see all that and go, mm, this Washington State team doesn't seem all, all that. You know, Arizona State have got a couple of good wins uh, against ranked teams, or they were ranked at the time in Michigan State and Cow, uh, both on the road. My concern is that Arizona State don't seem to be playing well at home. And I think, <laughs> as yeah. hopefully most of our listeners would know, you and I spent some time in Arizona State. I can see why they don't play well at home. Like, hell of a party. <laughs> I thought you were just, I thought you were just going to finish that sentence. They're just not playing well. The end. Not at home or away, just not playing well. Because I would tend to agree uh, with that. Yes, anyway. but I guess Arizona State at home, party too hard on a Friday night. That's what that's what I'm thinking is happening. There's, there's some stats to say that they haven't been playing well at home lately. They need to keep it in in their dorms or whatever it is. They need a curfew. <laughs> I don't know if that's helping. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But... <laughs> Because of that, I see Washington State getting over the top of Arizona State in this one. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I, I, I don't have any issues with that. I wouldn't be game to pick that one or put any money on the line, that's for sure, and I think that one could get weird. Lastly, number 25, your Cincinnati Bearcats head down to Houston and play against the Cougars team that has been really disappointing in Dana Holgerson's first year. And... Cincinnati are coming off a massive, massive win against UCF. It was UCF's first conference loss in like 20-something cracks at it, something like that. Um, but it is a prime spot for a letdown. 
this is a Cincinnati defense that is good. It puts a lot of pressure on its linebackers to make plays. And not only that, though, they play against a Houston team that runs the ball better than it passes, so they're going to be forced into making plays again. Uh, I could see Houston squeezing out a win here um, and just being able to wear down through that run game the Cincinnati defense enough and get a couple of lucky bounces maybe, and I, th- I could see the Cougs getting over the top of the Bearcats in this no, one. No, don't see it. Uh, Houston have put up well, the what? Of course you. They put up the white flag. The their head man, the, the captain of their program, has said, "You know what? I'm going to sit this year. Throw up the white flag. Yeah. I'm done. I'm packing it in." Where Cincinnati, on the other hand, just beat the reigning conference champs. They are all up and about. This is their year. They keep on rolling and they get it done in this one. I don't see. All right, 10 a.m., let's move right along there. I know you're going to be rock hard watching your Bearcats. Number 10, anyway, at 10 o'clock, Penn State head to the number 17 team in the country in Iowa off of their loss against Michigan. Penn State appear to have everything going in the right direction at the moment. They appear to be rolling. Um, How do you see this one playing out, Will? Yeah, I agree with you in that Penn State are looking like the better side. So Iowa were not bad in the lead-up to that Michigan one. That game was an absolute stinker. Like Both teams just kind of fizzled and couldn't get anything going there. Where on the other side, I think Penn State have shown a fair bit to this point in the year. They've been super efficient in what they've done. Uh, They, you know, came out against a Maryland team that, seems to be anemic and all over the place but they smoked them 59 to 7 I mean sorry 59 nothing and then followed that up with a win over a somewhat undermanned Purdue side 35 to 7 um, and the week before that they had Pitt uh, that they beat in a relatively tight matchup uh, 17 to 10 but all of that shows is that they are kind of have had a good chunk of their conference slate they've had some of the easier sides in conference so far but they've won those fairly easily. I mean, that pit game, yeah, maybe that's debatable, but they are getting better and better as this year goes on. I've been surprised by Penn State. I didn't think that they were going to be all that much after some of the talent that they lost in Miles Sanders and Trace McSorley last year, but they seem to be impressive. And the fact that they are playing this one at home, I believe, is that right? This one at uh, Happy Valley? Uh, This uh, this one's at Iowa. Oh, okay. That throws a spanner in me works there. You can see I'm well rehearsed here. Yeah, you're killing it. Mate. <laughs> I, I believe Penn State will get over the top of Iowa here. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I think this one's going to be a little bit closer perhaps. What is your take on the requirements of being battle-hardened. Is that a thing in the college football system and the college football season? Is it beneficial? Because if we look at Penn State, they really haven't played anyone this year. And like you said, they've been putting beatdowns on people. Iowa, on the other hand, have, uh, you know, they've played against Michigan uh, and they've played against Iowa State as well. So they've had to deal with a couple of quality teams. Do you think those games help moving into a game like this where obviously it could be tight, Penn State are a good team, do those games in the lead-up allow them to feel more comfortable in a high-pressure, higher-talented team game 
compared to the Penn State team who have just been whooping everyone? It's a really nuanced question that you're asking there because I think there's a number of different layers to this. So you look at experience on the team. If you've got guys that are you know upperclassmen, juniors, seniors who've been around, I think that's lessened because they've had that previous years. So those big time matchups don't really phase people as much, I suppose, once you've been through it before, even if it is in previous years. So it, it kind of depends a bit on the makeup of your team. The next one I would say on that is it, those matchups can really make or break you from a momentum standpoint. And I think that is key in college football. So if you're in those ones and you're winning, then I believe you can start to really buy into what you've been able to achieve and where your program's going. And that gives you an extra leg. And then all of a sudden you see programs who have that belief and can really take it up a level and, and probably outperform where, where maybe they are talent-wise. So I think that kind of factors into it. And then the other thing that I would say on that is that there's the opportunity for, as we kind of mentioned, traps or looking ahead or, you know, exhaustion after that is is the other piece that falls into it. So if you put a whole bunch of effort into one game, like a Michigan game, a lot of that effort is, you know, your head coaches and all of that really spending every waking minute thinking about that one there and then when that's said and done, they kind of review what happened and then turn their attention to the next week. Whereas, you know, someone like Penn State coming up against Purdue, maybe that's the case, maybe not. Maybe it's yet we need to do, this is what we're going to execute here, but we can also have, you know, these analysts spending a bit of time looking at next week. So I think all of those things factor into it a little bit and it's very much dependent on the makeup of your team and how those performances went for you. Okay, because I think that some of that is going to help Iowa. I think both teams have got a good defense. Iowa's defense is really good. They control the ball. They possess the ball on offense. And Nate Stanley is incredibly experienced, which you said is going to be beneficial. Uh, They haven't been able to run the ball as well as they would like, but they did you know, get into not scoring position, but certainly get into a position to get into scoring position. Uh, that sounds a little bit, uh, you know, whatever you want to make of that. It's not uh, too incredible, but I just felt that Iowa State were, were kind of on that 50-yard line, spent a lot of time on the 50-yard line, and they just couldn't get into uh, those scoring positions enough. And they're going to have to do that against a Penn State team who is going to be better on offense than Michigan was last week. Sean Clifford has been good, but a little bit streaky. He scores points, puts up yards in bunches, and then does have the ability to go to sleep and go a little bit quiet. Uh, So I don't really know. I don't have great confidence in the Iowa offense to score enough points against Penn State, Uh, but their defense is going to be really, really good. Um. The only other thing that may be worth mentioning is this whole dreadlock letter thing to the Penn State player team. I don't think it will have an impact, but maybe that hurts them from a momentum, concentration, whatever perspective. Um, ooh, I, I'm not confident in Penn State to walk all over the Hawkeyes in this one, uh, but... I will say that it must be a Penn State win, but closer than people 
think I'd say like it wouldn't surprise me a late field goal to Penn State to get over the top. Okay, there's there's your prediction there. You heard it here first. Uh, I don't think there is such thing as walking over the top of the Iowa Hawkeyes. It doesn't exist yeah. because they are such yeah. a disciplined unit. They don't turn the ball over. They play within themselves. They still play hard, and you know they're they're a good team. They're not flashy. They don't make a whole bunch of mistakes. So it's always a tough out. I think Penn State win, but I'm with you in that it'll be a closer tussle like within seven points. Having said that, this was an Iowa State team that gave up a lot of penalties last week. So providing they can clean that up, yeah, I think we're heading down that road. Okay, let's head on to the marquee matchup of the week. That is number seven, Florida, heading down to Baton Rouge to play the LSU Tigers. Oh, this one is gearing up to be a big, big, big game. Florida are bowl eligible. They're 6-0, and so well done to the Gators. Uh, I think they're the second team to become bowl eligible. I think SMU became bowl eligible last week, so first couple of teams across the line there. Now, this is, the. I mean, this is, again, strength on strength. We talk about it a lot, but you've got an LSU offense, which is the number one scoring offense in the country against a very, very good Florida defense. Uh, I think that for once, don't get me wrong, all the pressure is on LSU in this game. They want to be considered with the heavyweights. They want to be considered in contention with Alabama. And I was going to say the Alabamas of the world, but it's not the Alabamas of the world. It is they want to be in contention with Alabama. To do that, they go in and win this game and they win it by a semi-comfortable margin. And obviously, that's not going to be a whole lot of points necessarily, but I could see LSU winning this one uh, by about 10 points. I think Joe Burrow has a really, really good game. They're balanced offensively, and I think my concerns are more on the other side of the ball because I think LSU's defense can go toe-to-toe with that Florida defense, but the Florida offense can't match what LSU is doing with uh, particularly in the pass game and and getting those receivers involved uh, on those short, quick throws, letting them have time and space to you know move the ball effectively, uh, and and let Justin Jefferson do his thing on the outside. Uh, I'm expecting a big LSU win in this one. Okay. Do you know where the line is at for this one? Uh, I it's pretty big. Couple of touchdowns, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So it started at 13 points. So I'm, I'm not sure which way it's drifted from there, but it, it opened at 13, which is a fair bit for two undefeated SEC sides, I suppose, at this stage of the year. Uh, for mine, I'll, I'll try and keep it quick here because I, whilst I believe that LSU will win and, and win quite well, I am not going to rag on Florida again. I did my fair share of that in last week's preview show against Auburn, and they proved me wrong. So. I'm not going to sit here and then double down on that and say that Florida are no good because, hey, they made me eat my words. So I'll kind of back off that a little bit. Whilst I think LSU are the better team and they're going to have the opportunity for their home crowd to essentially do what Florida's did to Auburn last week and then have a real impact on the game, I'm going to sit on the fence over here and say... Florida are good and and not to be underrated and, and this is going to be an absolute ripper of a match. Oh, that is the most uncommittal, washy crap I've ever heard. You sound like a politician. Hey, they, they earned my respect. Okay. That's nice. Cool. Now make a decision. 
uh, LSU will win. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I agree. Uh, they the like I said, the pressure's on LSU, but this year feels different for the Tigers. They don't feel like those twitchy on the fence. Yeah, we're good. We're five and zero, but we get someone that's any any decent, like a Florida team, and we roll over and we get beaten up at home. I don't think that's happening. I think they're methodical. I think they're the coaching seems cleaner, crisper, sharper, more defined, more professional, uh, more business-like than it has been in years previous, and they're getting the job done. It almost looks like, and this is a critical thing for teams, is that LSU is not caring about the result anymore. They care about getting the small things right all the time. They execute at a high level and the results take care of themselves. And teams like that look like they're confident. They look like they've got confidence in their ability to score, confidence in their ability to win. And it's, again, only a matter of time before that happens. So I've got supreme uh, confidence in that LSU team to deliver the goods on the weekend. And I'm looking for a big game from Joe Burrow. Uh, and that LSU defensive line to have a field day on uh, a a young but settling, much maligned, probably Florida offensive line. And with a few question marks with Kyle Trask, uh, we'll see how that goes for the Gators. All right. Now, a couple more games to get through. If you've got anything on these, please chip in here, Will. Number three, Georgia, get a visit from South Carolina. Is there any way that the Gamecocks can make a game of that one? I do not believe so. Okay. Number 16, Michigan, head to Illinois. I think Michigan will get across the line there, okay? Yes, quite comfortably. Number 24, A&M, get a visit from number one, Alabama. We've seen this game go tight in the years of Johnny football. Is there any way that Kellen Mond can channel some of that uh, inner white boy alcoholic gambler in order to perhaps push the Crimson Tide? Yeah, I mean, there was once a time where this was an exciting game, wasn't it? It was really like, oh, you know, Alabama, Texas A&M, you, you must watch it. It's it's going to be tight. You're not going to know what's going to happen. I think those days are probably behind us now. What I do like about this one is it's going to be our first real opportunity to be able to get uh, somewhat of a comparison. And I know this isn't real or fair, but a comparison between Clemson and Alabama on the field. So... Obviously, Clemson came up against A&M earlier this year. We'll get to see Bama do the same thing. We can kind of digest those two performances and make an assessment off of that. I expect it to be a similar one where Alabama will win. They're not going to blow them out of the park, but they're going to be in control all day. Callum Mond will probably put up a whole bunch of yards again, and it won't matter. Iowa State head to West Virginia in a game that effectively ends the season for one of these two teams in the Big 12. Who are you taking in this one? Uh, I'll be touching on this one later on on the punt, but uh, I'll, I'll give you a little spoiler. It is the Cyclones. Okay. Texas Tech head to number 22, Baylor. Uh, now, Texas Tech coming off that big, big win against your Oklahoma State Cowboys. Uh, um, Baylor just keep on trucking at the moment. Who is going to win this one? Yeah, I think this is a really interesting matchup. I, I, I think that the Big 12 is incredibly deep this year and it has a lot of talent. Uh, Texas Tech 
were able to win last week and you know fairly comfortably in the end they they really took the lead and then ran with it all game i'm not sure that they'll be able to do that on the road against baylor uh baylor haven't really come up against anyone this year but i think that they're traveling well enough they're well coached enough by rat Matt Rule down in Waco that they will continue on their merry ways and go to 6-0. and All right, Georgia Tech play Duke and no one really cares about that one unless Duke continue to win in the ACC. Anyway, Ole Miss head to Missouri. Kelly Bryant was a little banged up after the Troy game last week, but he appears to be okay. And I think the Tigers are going to continue to roll in the SEC. Yep. Uh, USC head to Notre Dame in the battle for the Twisted Shillelagh or the Irish Guinness Pot or the Golden Stake of Rectal Examination. I don't know what it's called anymore. Uh, is there any way that USC can push the Fighting Irish? That's the Jeweled Shillelagh, yeah? Okay, yep. You nailed it. Well done. It's probably not the Golden Rectal Examiner. No, uh, I think that USC will make this one interesting, actually. I, I don't won't. expect them to win, but I, I I think it'll be tighter than you expect. Actually, does this effectively draw a line through my bold prediction for the year, my second one? Uh, yes, yeah, you're, you're dead. You said that they would be done, what, this week or before this week? I said that week? Clay Helton would get fired in the bye week, I think. Uh, and are they coming off the bye? Yeah. Okay, so I really hope they get spanked in this one and he gets fired next week. (laughs) That would be – does that still count in the week of the bye? Probably not. Anyway, um, Louisville head to number 19, Wake Forest. Now, Louisville are on the back of a road win against BC. A lot of the statistics suggest that winning two games back-to-back on the road is really, really difficult. Is there any way that Louisville can – Stop the Deeks as maybe the best team in the ACC. Yeah, I think there certainly is a way here. I I think this is one that I expect Louisville to provide a bit of an upset. Oh, really? Yes, I do. I I think they're they're not a bad team and they've shown a huge amount of improvement this year. They were woeful last year. Wake Forest are a bit of a surprise packet, so I might be disrespecting them a little here, but I'm, I'm backing in Louisville to get the win on the road here. Okay, I'm going to take the Deeks because back-to-back road game victories are really hard to accomplish in college football. Nebraska visit Minnesota, and obviously this is the second team I'm getting around at the moment. Uh, The Golden Gophers really should win this one. Tanner Morgan is playing really, really well. Rodney Smith at running back is fantastic, and he went off last weekend. Adrian Martinez needs a little bit of help, and he got nicked up last week as well. Another quarterback that is feeling the wrath of a college football season. But, I mean, how do you see this one playing out? Will Nebraska be able to score enough um, or will Minnesota be able to shut that offense down enough uh, and and can Tanner Morgan have his way? Yeah, your, your boy PJ Flex getting it going at Minnesota now, which is taking a Row little... Row the boat. Yeah, it's taking Row a little, that boat. little bit of time to get going, but he was a highly touted coach when he made the move over there and... We're starting to see those results now. Uh, what I don't want people forgetting is that Scott Frost is a decent coach too when he came on board, and I think I'm going to back another upset here and Nebraska are going to play the role of kind of spoiler for a few of these lower-rung teams, so I don't see them getting over the top of 
any of the real players in the Big Ten, but Minnesota, I unfortunately do not consider to be one of them, and I think they're going to find themselves in a bit of strife this week. Okay, just to go off on a bit of a tangent, and I won't hold you up too long on this, but how long do you give a coach? Because... We are seeing, obviously, PJ Fleck needs a little bit of time, gets it going. Yeah, you talk about Dabo Swinney at Clemson and his first year, they went, you know, historically seven and six. And that was like that. People were calling for his head. Uh, you know, Ryan Day's obviously come in at Ohio State and done a really, really good job. And Scott Frost hasn't got the results in Nebraska that probably he was after. Uh, what is reasonable and fair how long is it to give a coach and probably the Manny Diaz influence here is uh, coming to the fore because people are calling for his head after seven games and the same thing was happening at Florida State with Willie Taggart last year as well but how quickly do you bite the bullet and 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 knock that coach on the head, providing it's financially viable. Yeah, well, it's very dependent on the situation the team's in. So I would not base it on how the results are going on the field, to be honest, especially early on. So I would say in the first two years, I'm less interested in wins and more interested in the direction of my program. And I know the two kind of go hand in hand, but in terms of what you're trying to build. There's obviously a recruiting piece that needs to play into that. And I'm a big believer in culture and trying to set the right standards within a program and that you can then use that to to build uh, your football program around. So I would be more interested in in what's happening in that space early on in laying a foundation from a coach. And if that means we're not winning as many games as perhaps our fans really want us to, and it's dependent on the situation, I'm not so worried about that. I will have a lot more patience. It's only if I have concerns that they're making rash decisions and they're letting things go from a culture sense and and trying to try and make make short-term gains and, and get some wins and kind of compromising on some of the beliefs of, what I would want to see from my head man is where I would have real concerns. And I suppose that's the difference for me between someone like Scott Frost and Willie Taggart is I don't, I don't sit inside either of these programs, but the feeling that I get is that Scott Frost is trying to build his thing. He's not getting the results we expect, but he's, he's, implementing his style there and he's trying to get his culture going where Willie Taggart seems to be reacting to a whole bunch of stuff and trying to get wins and it's just not working. Okay, and maybe that's something we talk about a little bit more in the off-season as well. Obviously, that list of things we're going to talk about in the off-season is just increasing. Anyway, back to week seven. Arkansas get Kentucky. Uh, I don't think we'll dwell too long on that one. Number 15, Utah head to Oregon State as the Beavers look to make a push for a bowl game. Now, is there any concern here for the Utes? Uh, not in this one. I, I I really like the idea of Oregon State getting to a bowl game, but this is not going to be one of the four remaining wins that they need to chalk up. Okay. Hawaii uh, go uh, get a visit from – I'll have to check, double-check this one actually. Uh, they get Boise State and Hank – uh, Backmeyer, the quarterback at Boise. Sorry, this is in yeah, Idaho. I was going to say. Um, is quietly becoming one of the most kind of productive, efficient, calm, accurate, calm, effective 
distributors of the ball in college football at Boise. Can Cole McDonald and this high-powered Hawaii offense do a job on Boise or is their defense going to be too good? I think this will be a good matchup. I am pleading to anyone out there who maybe has stumbled upon the podcast or doesn't watch a lot of college football. This is at 12... uh, 30 around the country or thereabouts on a Sunday. So if you do not have a lot going on, or even if you do have it, cancel your plans, make an effort to watch this game go down on the Smurf turf and get a real understanding of what college football is all about. Because I think we're going to see it here. This is going to be an awesome matchup of one team that really likes to throw the ball around the place, another team that is you know, a really solid unit all across the field. And we're going to get to see some fireworks in this one. So I want everyone out there to try and make an effort to watch this, mainly because A, Hawaii is Australia's team and we should always be trying to get around that. But B, if you're not into it, this is not like those 100,000-seat stadiums. This is kind of real group of five matchup stuff. This is your grassroots deal here and it's just as entertaining to watch. So I want people to make an effort and get around it. Gee, making a big deal about the Boise State-Hawaii game. Okay, and lastly, Washington head to Arizona who continue to play in really effective games. Um, or so, Sorry, effective, really interesting games. Is there any way that, you know, Washington are off that disappointing loss last week? Uh, will they bounce back or can the Wildcats get another win against a, a, a pretty good team? Uh, I am liking the building Wildcats. So for me, yeah, Arizona and Kevin Sumlin gets the victory that he is sorely looking for against a Washington team that I think is, yeah, they're they're good. You know, they're well coached, but on the road against a building Arizona team, I really like Arizona in the spot. Okay. Are there any other games that you would like to have a look at this week? week that i have missed not at this stage mate i'm just itching to get into my south pole okay i will won't hold you back any longer now of course i missed this last week so you're gonna have to take me through exactly what the hell this is all about and i will critique accordingly okay so for those of you who didn't listen and aaron you are obviously one of those I did not, that is correct. I have uh, conducted or concocted is probably a a better word for it, a poll that is essentially based off of a scenario where if we had an eight-team playoff, this is how I would want it to play out. Uh, So obviously at the moment we've only got the four teams in it. There is a bit of a push for uh, an eight team, so it's more inclusive so that we can get some conference champs. There's a big debate going on, and I truly think that it will get to this point at some point, and I really want it to. I think it'll be great. So for my poll, I have essentially five automatic positions for the winner of each of the Power Five conference you get locked in uh, to a playoff spot. I then have one position that is locked away for the best group of five team, and that is voted on by a panel similar to what we have now. I then also have two at-large bids for the next best two teams in the nation. Uh, And then there's also seeding that is voted on as well between all of the conference champs and at-larges in there. Questions? Okay. All right, take us away then. 
Okay, so for the second week in a row, I have Ohio State as my number one in the South Pole. They represent the Big Ten as the champs there. They have shown me the most so far, so I have them in at one. Better than Alabama. At the moment, that's where I have it. Better than Alabama. At the moment, that from what I've seen on the field, yes. Better than Alabama. Uh, I mean, you can keep saying the same thing here. I am going from what I've seen, and a lot of this is going to shake itself out. So you might not necessarily like where things are here, but from what I have seen at this point in time, I'm not guessing that I think Alabama are going to be better than them. From what I've seen, Ohio State have won more convincingly in every one of their matchups than anyone else in the nation, so I have them won. Okay. Uh, in it to right. Alabama, representing the SEC. So right there behind them. Very good team. There's no arguing it. Both of those teams are really, really good at the moment. Uh, in at three, I have my first at-large team, and that's Wisconsin. So I have Wisconsin uh, as the third best team at the moment, purely based on how dominant they've been in every one of their matchups. At four, I have Clemson, who are representing the ACC. They are clearly the best team in that conference and will be at the end of the year too. Uh, five, I have Oklahoma representing the Big 12. In at six, this is where things start to get really interesting. My number six team is the second at-large team and it is Penn State. So I currently what? have Penn State in at six. Uh, seven, I have SMU representing the group of five. So Boise have probably got strong claims to this and they may be able to jump uh, SMU with a good win over Hawaii this week. But at the moment, I have SMU. And then my eighth team representing the Pac-12 is Oregon at the minute. So the two teams that I have on the bubble of this are obviously LSU and Georgia, both very good teams. Uh, And then from the group of five, there's Boise, I mentioned, Memphis and Cincinnati in the conversation. So so of your at-large bids, yes, you've currently got, according to the AP poll, you've currently got the number five team in the country not in there. Yes. You've currently got the number seven team in the country not in there. Yes. You've currently got the number eight team in the country not in there. I don't look at the AP poll when I'm doing the poll. This is a completely independent poll. I get that. I I, I understand that. But you're you're trying to tell me that that SMU or Boise State, sorry, at this stage is with their only real significant win against Florida State on the road. And whilst that was a good win, it's not exactly aging super well, is going in against the number one offense in the country – an extremely competent defense. And so you're telling me that if LSU and Boise State played tomorrow, Boise State's winning. That's so what you're I have. Doing. I have SMU in, not Boise State. Sorry. And, and what I'm saying is this is how this is structured out. And we will see when it gets towards the end of the year how this, how this model flies. So at the moment, from what we're saying, I'm locking in a group of five team. And the reason there that I don't want to bore our users with again, because I did cover this well, uh, I didn't off last to, week. 
I didn't leave. And, and you really need to start to because it's not a great look for any of our people to have to listen to this for me explaining it to you. But hey, maybe there are a few people who missed it last week too. For those of you out there, the real driver of having a group of five team in there is that I want to have the dozen group of five teams who are very good with something viable to fight for at the end of the year that's not just a good bowl game. I want 12 programs and supporter bases to have something for the last three weeks of the year to go, fuck, if we can get this going, we have an opportunity to make the playoff. Imagine how amazing that would be for the program. I want that opportunity to be available for those schools. And I think that's perfectly fair and reasonable for whoever it is at the end of the year, because there's a very good chance they'll be undefeated, to know that if they can keep going, they've got a shot to challenge it with the big guys. Which they don't, don't get dis- at the moment. I don't disagree with you, but if you are in any way suggesting, and this is exactly what you are suggesting, that SMU is a better team than LSU, you're fucking kidding. You're kidding. There's no way. And I know, I know you're saying you want to have a group of five team in there, and I get that. What was your other at-large bid? Penn State. Yes. You're taking Penn State, which... According to the AP poll, now I'm not putting all my weight in that, sits behind Ohio State and Wisconsin, and they're on the same side of the draw as Ohio State as well. So it's not even like you've got a Penn State versus Wisconsin matchup at the moment. And I know how much you love Wisconsin. I don't understand how Wisconsin don't go in above Penn State. I I don't get that. Why? Because they're going to play in the Big Ten Championship game. They'll lose that game, and therefore they don't deserve another crack at it. No, I'm talking about how things are now. I'm not projecting towards the end of the year. I'm talking right now from what I've seen. This has got nothing to do with what's on the slate. So you're saying Penn State... Okay. So, right. So take me through it again. You have got, at number one, you've got Ohio State. Can live with that. Two, Alabama. Yep. Three, Wisconsin. Three was... Wisconsin. Three, Wisconsin. I apologize. I was hammering you for them there. Okay. Four. Clemson. Yep, five, five was Oklahoma, six was Penn State, okay, seven was as... SMU, eight was Oregon. As the Pac-12 winner. Yes. So really, okay, I won't deep dive into this because I know you must have had arguments about it consistently. I don't love it. I think there's a lot of gaps there. I don't see a world in which another SEC team doesn't get in. They're getting and two every, teams in at the moment as it is. There's every chance that they will get that opportunity when they start to play some decent competition and win those games. So if you know Florida beats yeah, LSU, sorry, I'm then thinking that, future probably. You, you are. I'm, I'm saying from what it is right now. Okay, I disagree with it. I'm also coming to terms with this whole South Pole thing, and and I'm, I'm battling with it. I'm not going to lie. I'm battling with it. I'm tired. I've Japanese people go to school for like 7 million hours in a day. So I'm still coming to terms with it. I just need to simmer overnight, I think. Okay. So let's let's leave it at that. Uh, I'll throw this one out there for our friends on Instagram and Twitter perhaps, and then maybe you can at me and you can get stuck into me almost as much as Aaron has tried to here as well. Yeah, but I've failed far more miserably than what the uh, listening public should. Anyway, moving along, championship draft. Can you quickly recap that? Because obviously Hawaii didn't play last week. We've got no choices to make. But who holds which teams in this championship draft at the moment? 
Okay, so at the moment we have uh, two two lots. Obviously, uh, I was leading coming into this week, uh, but you were managed to pick up LSU last week. Andy grabbed them for you, which was disappointing for me. Uh, I went and scooped up Auburn. So my team is made up of Georgia, Washington, USC, Ohio State, Utah, Michigan State, Texas, and Auburn. So at first I was pretty happy with mine, and now it's looking pretty ugly you have michigan oregon miami oklahoma wisconsin oklahoma state penn state and lsu so i think yours is looking a lot better especially with your last two picks of penn state and lsu you you certainly uh have been on the better end of things most recently and this last week really helped you as well you had some good results so when i add up the points uh based off of where they're ranked i am on 85 points and you have jumped well ahead on 98 so 85 to 98 there you go go on Go on me. I'm going to win something because it's not fantasy football at the moment. All right. Uh, let's not go counting those eggs just yet. Oh, mate, I'm or putting chicken, up some points chickens. in fantasy football. Oh, I'm playing you this week too. Uh, yeah, you are. You're going to crush me. Yes. I just – I'm putting up points. I put up 140-odd points last week, lost by two or three. Whilst Fucking we are on the topic of – Who uh, didn't play any good? Fantasy football. My boy – my boy Kai out there uh, in my other fantasy league, give him a shout out just to try and push this trade along. Uh, anything I can do to, to make this happen, I'm, I'm really working it here. <laughs> okay, let's go bold prediction time. Take me through yours, William. Okay, this week I'm following on from your theme of our recap show. We just keep piling on and I'm going to say that after this week, the ACC will only have a single team ranked in the top 25 AP poll. And that will be Clemson, I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> they are not dropping out, no. So yes, yeah. Clemson will be the only side, the sole representative for the ACC. So obviously for that to happen, we would need both Virginia and Wake Forest to lose and lose not well, I suppose, to, to drop out uh, and then no one else to jump back in. Okay. Uh, I don't, well, there's not too many collecting votes unless Pitt somehow do something really good. I think they're on a buy, so not too many concerns there. All right, my bold prediction this week. Now, I talked about this as being a bit of a weekend that could go sideways for some teams. So what I am suggesting is at the moment there are 14, I believe, undefeated teams in college football. They're Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Florida, LSU, Oklahoma, Georgia, Wake, Wisconsin, Penn State, Boise State, Baylor, SMU, Memphis, Minnesota. I am going to say two of these teams are on a bye this week. So 12 of them, 12 of the 14 are playing. Of that 12, half of them won't be undefeated after this week of football. I'm going to give potentially some picks, and I've got a free one there because Florida and LSU, one of those teams is going to lose. So I do get a free one there, but I'm still looking for five other losses from the undefeated teams. So... Teams like Clemson at Florida State, they are on upset alert. Wake Forest and Louisville, upset alert. Penn State and Iowa, upset alert. Memphis against Temple is upset alert. 
The other one maybe would be Minnesota at Nebraska, but I need someone else to come across the line. Maybe Texas Tech at Baylor. Uh, Hawaii maybe over Boise State. I don't exactly know where it's going to come from, but I am picking that six of the top of the 14 undefeated and half of the undefeated teams playing on the weekend will be, or that won't be the case by the Sunday afternoon here in Australia. Yeah, I like it, buddy. I When I was sitting down to look at this, I was thinking of, along very similar lines to you for my prediction this week. But then it just made too much sense. Like I was like, this will not be the chaotic week because I can see it being the chaotic week. It always comes <laughs> yeah, out exactly. of nowhere. It, it yeah. happens when you least <laughs> expect it. Yeah, <laughs> that is very true. Sideways Saturday might just be straight down the barrel <laughs> everyone hit like they just cover or just don't cover the line is set perfectly for every game is probably how it'll play out but yeah. that is my bold prediction okay cool all right let's take you through your shitty intro music here comes the money here we go money talk Here comes the money, baby. Okay, here we, here we are. Oh, Stop, <laughs> Stop trying to talk over the top of me here, Aaron. This is everyone's favorite segment of the week. I will not let you fuck it up. I know we are getting late into the night here, but we need to stay on track. We need to drive this one home. And what better way to do it than with some great tips here that will win us some money. I figure if I can hit on all three of the tips that I have here, uh, that will also give me my multi and then we will be back even. So here we go. Let's fly through these ones today. First one I uh, mentioned in our predictions, uh, Arizona over Washington at home. They're getting around a touchdown. So if you can get the seven points, take that. We're going with the Wildcats here. They're 5-1-1 one one in their last seven against the spread at home where the Huskies are 3-9 and nine against the spread in their last 12 road games. Now, I can hear collectively the people out there listening to this show saying, Will, your trend stats aren't working. You lost again on the weekend. You're fucking useless. I'm betting against you and I'm making money sucked in. I hear you. I understand that. Just to forewarn you, I am changing something up slightly this week where <laughs> – I am still going with the trend, but I'm also looking at where all the public money is going and I'm taking the other side of that. So where where all the public's betting, I'm saying, no, nah, I'm not on that. There's a reason that the bookies make money because they sit on the other side of that one. So 65% of all money wagered is with the University of Washington. I am going Arizona there. My next one. Washington State, Arizona State. So you said steer clear of this one. It will get weird. I will not steer clear of it. I will bet on it. <laughs> I am backing Washington State to win here. So they uh, often bounce back after really disappointing games, eight and three against the spread in their last 11 games following a loss of more than 20 points. Uh, they're also 10-4 and four against the spread in, in the last 14 following a straight-up loss. So they do bounce back. Arizona State, as I kind of mentioned, 0-4 against the spread in their last four home games. So they're not playing so well because they party balls. All the money seems to be on Arizona State. So we're going Washington State here. And to round things out, we have Iowa State over West Virginia. So the line here is a pretty gaudy 
10.5 on the road at West Virginia. Uh, most of the money has come in for West Virginia, and I believe that's because people saw a similar line for Texas last week at West Virginia, and people consider Texas to be a better team than Iowa State, and Texas really struggled to kind of uh, see that line and, and achieve that. So I think they're going kind of going like for like there. Don't worry about that. Iowa State are a much better team. They will win this one. They're 11-3-1 against the spread in their last 15, following a win uh, where West Virginia 1-5 in their last six October games. We're taking Iowa State minus the points. Okay, just take us through those picks again really quickly. We have Washington State plus 2.5 at uh, Arizona State. We have Arizona plus around a touchdown versus Washington, and we have Iowa State minus around 10 at West Virginia. Okay, interesting. Hopefully, Will can get us back in the black at some stage within the next month. He's got a lot of work to do that, but um, if you're still on this sinking ship, well done. Uh, hopefully things turn around for you and we can bail out some of this water. Anyway, that brings us to the end of our week seven preview. We have got through a lot of stuff. I feel like I've been sitting here for at least 20 hours. Um, now, like I mentioned earlier, please do hit us up on Instagram and on Twitter at CFB Down Under. Make sure you do subscribe to the podcast. Uh, let all your friends know about it, especially those Aussie guys. It is a small community of college football watchers and lovers of the game here in Australia. So make sure you do uh, let all your friends know, your family know, your mates, whatever the case may be. Get them involved, get them listening, get them watching to one of the really, really good sports in the world. I'm absolutely knackered. From my last podcast here in Japan, on behalf of that guy in the hopefully sunny Adelaide Hills uh, and the hopefully typhoonless ja- Japan, my name is Aaron. That is Will, and we will see you next time. <laughs>